Magic. Okay, it's work. It's working. All right. So, last week we ended off with the concepts of tefillah, right? The major concepts of tefillah, bakasha, hoda'ah, shvach. We looked at all those concepts and the general framework of tefillah as we see it uh, in Judaism. And we came out basically that tefillah is a part of avodah in general, right? There's a there's an entire field called called avodah, and tefillah sits within that field. Now, to understand tefillah better, we said that you need to primarily focus on change on yourself rather than trying to change God's mind. We have to see how our needs relate to Hashem, to our service of Hashem. We have to see how we relate to Hashem. It's more about changing ourselves than it is changing Hashem's mind. We have to see how we are relating to the world for Hashem and serving Hashem rather than um, rather than changing Hashem's mind. For example, we give a, an example of those of the three phone calls. It's more of a relationship that we're building with Hashem. We don't just ask Him for money. We ask Him for ways to better serve Him. We develop a relationship with Hashem through tefillah. That was um, what we worked on last week. Um, this week, since we're continuing, I want to do the... Um, since we basically got the gist of the core concepts of tefillah, we're going to see more of them as we move on throughout throughout the Sidur and throughout the Chagim. Although there's many, many, many more concepts in tefillah that we'll see. Um, but now that we got the core concepts, I actually want to look at the history of the tefillah and like for the past let's say <laughs> 2,500 years how the Sidur actually came into being. The Sidur that we have today in front of us, what actually brought that into existence. So the first thing, first part of history sort of tefillah is the etymology of the word. Right, so the word tefillah um, or lehit palel usually is, is associated with the word lefalel uh, to to judge the pasuk says in Shaya, paku pililia they erred in judgment, um, and Rav Shamshin Rafal Hirsch points out in his sefer that hitpalel is the reflexive, that actually means to judge oneself, to do introspection. Lehitpalel means that we're not strictly judging, but we're doing a, an inward look, an inward deciding towards ourselves when we pray and we look at our ego, we look at ourselves, and we enhance our, our Avodat Hashem. It could also mean hope. If you remember, Yaakov Avinu said, um, I never hoped to see your face again. I never dreamed or imagined. Rashi says, I never thought that I would ever see your face again. Again, it represents our inward thoughts, the thoughts that we have towards ourselves. The Mekubalim associate the word with the word um, Petil, like tefillah comes similarly from the word petil, like naftuli uh, elokim niftalti, when Leah named naftali, she said naftuli elokim niftalti. What that meant is that Hashem repaired my my tearings. Um, it meet, the word lefatel uh, means to repair what has been torn asunder, and not only does that mean that emotionally that we can repair, you know, pick up our pieces, but it also means that we could be mitaken olamot. So that's where they believe the word lehitpalel uh, comes from, or tefillah. So, the most famous, probably the most famous um, uh, source for the history of tefillah that everybody knows. I mean, most you ask most people, what's, 
how did Tefillah develop? They'll cite this Rambam, right? This, this, uh, we, were, we saw the beginning of the Rambam last week. He starts discussing how uh, the... We said he goes from why to what to how. This is the how Tefillah came to be the way it is. So he gives a little history lesson. And he says, Kivan Shagalu in, in Dalid, in Hilchot Tefillah Perkalf Dalid. Kivan Shagalu Yisrael B'mei Nebuchadnezzar Harasha. When the when Bnei Israel were exiled by Nebuchadnezzar, this is in by, the end of Bayit Rishon, right at the end of the first temple. The Jews got scattered in various countries, such as Persia, Greece, Egypt, and they gave birth to many sons and children in other lands, the first generation, uh, you know, exiles. And all of their kids began speak all of their kids began speaking other languages besides Lashona Kodesh. And because the people or the children weren't able to speak clearly or to say a tefillah totally in Lashon Kodesh without borrowing words from other languages, they weren't able to speak the, the language of the Jewish people, which is Lashon Kodesh, according to our, to our tradition. Because of this, they were only able to, to praise Hashem by adding in foreign languages. When, when Ezra and his, and his court saw this, now Ezra and his court are the Anshei at Hagidola. This is a, a group of people that we'll discuss in a second. They established the 18 brachot al haseder, meaning the Shemona Esrei, as well as other tefillot. As we said, the first three should be shvach, the last three are hodav. And the middle ones are bakashot. And in order to teach people, those who alagim are like the stutterers or the murmurers, the people who, who cannot speak the language clearly, they should have a full and complete uniform tefillah. They saw a need for the uniformity of standard text, the uniformity of tefillah. Um, like, a, the, like people who can actually speak clearly. And because of this, they made all the tefillot in the mouths of all of Israel. So everything should be concise and not concise, uh, spread out and ready for. <coughs> we're still on the same page, actually. Yeah, the next page is the Gemara. And they should be um, set out for everybody and ready for them to read as a tefillah. So, the interesting thing is that although the Anshei Knesset HaGedola did um, make this Takana, within 70 years or so, the Bayit Sheini was built. And therefore, the need for this um, rigid constitution went away because they had the Korbanot, they had the cycle, and therefore it actually fell into slight disuse, the actual Shmona Esrei, Furthermore, people had a freedom to um, add things to the formula which they already had. So, um, in in time, so this was what they said at the time, but um, eventually it had to be reconstituted, as we'll see. So, in order 
to understand the Ramam gives a the reason the Ramam is giving here. The Ramam says because why did they make a tefillah? Because lashon hakodesh is really important. It's very important to pray in Hebrew or in, in the holy tongue, and because. Um, the Anshikneset HaKadolah, so people weren't praying in Hebrew. Therefore, they, they made a takana that everyone should be praying in Hebrew. Now, the Rambam is giving an accurate reason, but it's not the only reason. Almost all scholars will agree that this is not the only reason that the Anshikneset HaKadolah made um, the tefillah of Shmona Esrei. It's not the only reason they standardized a text for tefillah for everybody. There were many more reasons. Um, so, in order to understand that, you really have to understand the time frame and what was happening during the time of the Anshei Knesset and what role they played in the history of the Jewish people. So, the Anshei Knesset as I'm sure you know, consisted of 120 members. Um, it means the, you know, the men of the Great Assembly or the men of the Great Synagogue or whatever it means. However, there was never really 120 people in the body at the same time. Even though the Gemara says there were 120 of them, only about 30 of them were Nevi'im. And the other 80 were not Nevi'im. Uh, sorry, that's 90. The other 90 were not Nevi'im, as far as, our, as most of the sources we can find say. And they didn't all live at the same time. The Anshik Nesat um were active from about the 5th century BC until about the 3rd century BC. So about 200 years where they were active. They consisted of Ezra Betino, you had Hanani Mishal Azariah, Achagai Zachariah Malachi, Daniel, Mordechai, all of the later Nevi'im. At the end of the time of Nivuah, um, at the end of Bayat Rishon. So it's important to understand about their role. Was This is something that Schwab points out very clearly, is that their role in our history was that they prepared Klai Yisrael for a shift between a time where Klai Yisrael depended on Nivi'im and Nivuah and a time where we depended on Chochmah and Torah. That was their role. And the reason all, the, all of these events happened at the same time and all of the takanot that they made make sense fits in when you understand that single rule of what they were doing. So in order to understand that better, there's this Gemara here I put on the next page. Um, it's on Yoma Samachtet Amud Beis. And in this Gemara, it says one of the famous things that Anshei Knesset HaGedola did. One of the famous things they did was that they were mevatel the Yitzer Hara of Avodazara. They said, you know what, Klai Yisrael can no longer um, withstand this, this Yitzer Hara, and therefore they prayed to Shemaim, and Hashem got rid of the Yitzer Hara of Nivuah. So er, many people know that Dan Knesset HaGedola did this. Very few people understand exactly why, though. So let me just read quickly the... If you see the three lines in the bottom from the from the top, it's Aku El Hashem Elokim, the wide lines, right? The, oh yeah, by yeah. Itzaku El Hashem Elokim B'Kol Gadol. This is the pasuk in Nehemiah that they they screamed to Hashem in a loud voice. My Amor, the Gemara says, what is say, what is this saying? Amar Avi Temer B'Yochanan Vai Vai Haynu Haida Chavei LeMakdisha LeMikdisha VeKaliyah LeHechalei VeKatlinu LeKulu Tzadiki VeAglinu LeSel MeAraon. He said, oh, like, oy vey, to this Yetzirah, which destroyed the Beit HaMikdash, ended the sanctuary, it killed all the tzaddikim, it exiled all of the Jews from their land. And it's still dancing among us. Why did Hashem give us, give us the Yetzirah of Avodah Only to be Mekabel Schar for not doing the Avera. 
Lo ihu ba'inan lo agre ba'inan. We don't want it and we don't want its schar. Nafaluhu pitka mirakia davi katav ba'emet. And a, a, um, a letter fell from Shemayim which had the word on it, emet. The Amara says here, We see that Hashem's seal is emet. So all this entire Gemara is going to go through some really mystical illusions. The Gemara sometimes speaks like this. It doesn't really tell you what it means. Um, the Gemara goes on. I'm just going to skip the actual words. But it says that they prayed, they fasted for three days, and then out of the Heichal came a fiery lion cub. Uh, the a lion cub represented the month of Av, in which in which uh, the Avodazar, they in which the Beit Hamikdash was destroyed because of the Chet of Avodah And which of the, the, the month of Av? Yeah. That was the month that the, the the constellation of the month of Av is a lion. So because the Beit Hamikdash was destroyed in the month of Av, that's why the Yetzer Hara's form came out as a fiery as a fiery lion cub. And it came out of the Hichal, and they and they tried to trap it. And there's a whole story over here in the Gemara exactly what happened. It's it's Kabbalistic. I, I actually don't want no, to go into it because well, it's a little bizarre. Why is it called like a Chet of, uh, of the Avodah It's the Yetzer Hara. It's the evil oh, inclination. Okay. It's not, uh, maybe oh, it's I misspoke. Not it's not, okay. Yeah, it's just Got the it. evil inclination. Okay, okay. So now, today we don't really understand the chet, the, the Yetzer Hara for Avodah Nobody understands this inclination to go and worship stone and and statues, like what in the world, were our ancestors stupid? Mm. It, to us, it makes absolutely no sense because we don't have this drive. The reason we don't have the drive, obviously, is because they destroyed it. Now, what fewer people understand, um, this is something that very few people know, is that the reason Nivua ended is because they destroyed the Yetzer Hara of Avodah Zarah. These two things are go hand in hand. The reason for that is that the Mikubalim describe that there are four olamot, quote-unquote, right? You've probably, you might have heard of this. There's the olam ha'atzilut, habriyah, yitzira, and asiyah. Now, these four worlds are not worlds of distance. They're worlds of, um, let's call it relationship to Hashem, like how, quote-unquote, quote near or far we are from Hashem. Atzilut means nearness, right? That's the universe closest to Hashem's hashpa'ah, or ar, sorry. And then the... The next, the next universe is the one of Bria, which is creation, where things get get created, yesh uh, me'ayin. And then there's the next universe of Yetzirah, where these things, these concepts that get created, um, receive a form. And then Asiyah is our world, where all the Shefa comes down from from them. It's a step by step process. Now the Nevi'im, when they receive their Nivuah, Nivuah comes from the Olam HaAtzilut. And Moshe Rabbeinu received his nivuah in the most clear form, straight from Matzilut, only clothed in Bria slightly. The other nivim, the later ones, had their nivuah clothed in Bria more, or in Bria and Yetzira. The later nivim had a less clear um, nivuah than Moshe Rabbeinu did. Now, what's interesting though is that the euphoria that comes from worshiping. Avodah Zarah, for some reason, also comes from the Olam HaTzilut. So the choice they made was that we know that this is going to end Nivuah and Klai Yisrael, but we have to turn off that faucet. And so they closed off the Olam HaTzilut. There's no more communication with the Olam HaTzilut. And by closing that off, that also disabled the, the capability for a person to be Menaveh. This is important because the repercussions were important. Yes, they 
yes, they, they gained a tremendous advantage over the chet. So now no one's going to be over on this chet anymore. And if you actually look in, 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 in uh, if you look at the history, by the way, of the world, you'll see that polytheism had a major decline after literally, you know, the fourth, fifth century BC. Uh, that time was when polytheism began to really fade in the world. In in the, in the what was what is that the the eastern countries some of it still remained but even then they didn't they weren't worshiping stones that or statues they they might have been following energies but at the same time they polytheism had a great decline after the Anshikanesa Tagadola destroyed the Etzehara. Why this was important, of course, is because now our challenge has changed, and also there were no Nevi'im, no more Nevi'im to guide Klai Yisrael. So this is why the Mishnah Perkei Avot says. Right, Moshe Kibel Torah Misinai Misaru Misaru Hale Shua Shua Zakeni Muzakeni Misaru Hale Anshek Neset Hagdula. Right, Hem Amru Shloshad Varim. They made three major policy changes. Number one, have a mitunim badin, be um, patient in judgment. When you first learn Pekei Avot, you think, okay, this is just this is just going to be a book full of uh, random quotes about good things to do. Have a mitunim badin is a fundamental policy change in how the Torah was given and how the Torah was taught. Because before, the, during the door of the, the Nevi'im, a posek or a Navi or a Shofet, if he had Ruach HaKodesh, could paskin according to his Ruach HaKodesh. He could look in, in his mind's eye and go, oh, you owe him money, and paskin like that. Oh, this is the right halacha, I know because I'm a Navi. Boom, he knows the halacha. Havayim etunim badin is, is a policy change. It says, no, you have to sit and break your head on the chokhmah of it as well. You have to make sure that your psak is right according to the, to the Torah. The next one was, ha'emidu talmidim harbei. Make many talmidim. In the time of the Nevi'im and the Shoftim, the people who received the entire Torah were always a small, select group of people. Especially if they were going to teach Torah Nistar, very often it was Rebbe to Talmid, the Rebbe to Talmid, people used to teach one-on-one. Torah wasn't taught in, in, large, in large groups. After the door of the Nevi'im, they said, okay, it is time to teach to more people because we're desperate, we need to teach the Torah to everybody, and we're not teaching Torah Nistar anymore, we're not teaching all of the Torah Nevuah, we're not going to teach Kabbalah to everybody, we're going to teach Torah, teach as many people as possible. The last one is actually very interesting, Asusiyag the Torah. Nershwab explains that this is interesting because in the time of the Nevi'im, the people were so knowledgeable and at such a high level, they didn't need to be told, for example, don't ride a horse because you might pull out a twig on Shabbat. They knew this on their own with Ruach HaKodesh. They didn't need to be given Gezerot. But after the time of Nevi'im was shut down, that's when people needed Gezerot. So that's why you see in the time of the Nevi'im, from Moshe until there were not many Takanot made. There was maybe David HaMelech Ubeitino made one or two. Moshe Rabbeinu said to, to read the Torah in Sheni V'chamishi. Uh, Shlomo HaMelech made one or two. Uh, you have the Chavidat, Chavitat HaRava. There's very few Gezerot in the times of the Nevi'im. After the times of the, of the Nevi'im, starting with the Mishnah, and then the Gemara, that's when we have hundreds of Gzerot for Shabbat, Gzerot for every single section of Torah. We make many Siagim to make sure that people are doing the right thing because we just don't have access to Nebuah anymore. So, how does this relate to Tefillah? The Ancheik Neset HaGadola saw that because people were no longer in an age of Nebuah, they realized that there was that it had come a time when people were not going to be knowledgeable enough to say the right words to affect the right things in Shemayim. 
people, the standard person in the street, wasn't going to know anything about Kabbalah anymore. He wasn't going to know if he wanted to pray to Hashem for health, wealth, happiness, sadness, whatever he needed to pray to Hashem for. He wasn't going to know the right words as a Mikubal or as an Avi. He wasn't going to know the right words in order to affect what he needed to affect in Shemayim. And therefore, they set a formula of words that have tremendous power. They're lucid, they're clear, and they're available for anybody to read, but at the same time, they're carefully, carefully calibrated words that they affect anything you need to have done in Shemayim. They're like Klalit, they're general. And they're, if we, we'll see as we go through the Tefillah, every word of the Tefillah was written with tremendous Ruach HaKodesh. Every single word, the Argematriot we're going to see, we're going to see Roshet Tevot, we're going to see... Um, incredible things written in the Tefillah, which is actually, we have a Mesorah all the way back to Anshikinas Tatak of every um, code and every uh, uh, trick, well, I don't want to call it a trick, every single word of Kiddushah that they put into the Tefillah. So they just wrote to, it before the Nebuah went away? They wrote it, yeah, they were Nevi'im, so they, they wrote it. Yeah, they wrote it with the understanding that everyone was going to be given this tremendous gift. What's amazing about the Shimon Esrei is that the Shimon Esrei and all the Brachot have a, are, both, are both accessible to the layman and they're accessible to the scholar. At the same time that they're easy and accessible for everybody, they can mean many things on many, many levels. The words can mean things in, simple, in, a, simple word, in a simple realm and the words can mean something much higher. That was the power of the Nevi'im, that they could say things that look simple, but they're very, very, very profound. Now, as we're going to see right here in the Gemara, comes the, the prime example of this, of this change. It says, Masnu, uh, over here, Matu of Gidel Omer, Gadol Omer. So the Gemara is asking, why are they called the Knesset Hagdolah? Why does the Mishnah say that this was the men of the great assembly? The Mishnah is actually, obviously calling them great, Hagadol. So it gives us a bunch of different reasons. Now, Rav Masna says something interesting. He says that they, where is it? Amar Hakel Hagadol Hagibor Vahanora. Vahadar Rav Matna Matya Lerib Yoshu Yobin Levi. Damar Rav Yoshu Yobin Levi. Lamani Krashiman and Shikinesat Hagadola. Shechziru Atara Leoshna. Because they restored the crown to its former glory. Ata Moshe, Moshe in, in, in Devarim says, Amar Hakel Hagadol Hagibor Vahanora. Moshe originally said these three attributes of Hashem. We spoke last week about how attributes are a very dangerous thing. Moshe said that Hashem is Gadol, Gibor, and Nora. Ata Yirmiyah, and then Yirmiyah came, Viamar, and he said, Nochrim Ekarkirin Bechalodar, Goyim, and, you know, acting callously in, in the Beit HaMikdash, Ayin Oratav, where is fear of heaven? Lo Amar Nora. So Yermia in his praise of Hashem, when he says Hakel Hagadol, he says Hakel Hagadol Bahanora. He doesn't say Hakel Hagadol Hagibor Bahanora. Ata Daniel Amar Nachrim Eshtabim Bivanav, Goyim are enslaving his children. Ayeg Vuratav, where is Hashem's might? Lo Amar Gibor. So Daniel did not say Gibor in his praise of Hashem. Ata Inhu came the Anshei Knesset Hagadola Vamru Adraba Zuhi Gvurat Gvurato. This is his greatest strength. Shekovesh Et Yisro that he. Ritzono, I'm sorry, it's the wrong, the words are wrong here, that he resists his, his will, that he, that he has patience for, for the wicked, and this is his awesomeness, for, 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 if it weren't for the fear of Hashem, how could one nation exist among the other nations? Now, to understand what this Gemara is saying, 
is, is, is it's it's I, I can't stress what like what what a beautiful Gemara this is. The words al we know that the words gadol and gibor and oram mean very profound things. Gidullah in English means greatness, but when it's said in the context of the Torah, when it's des- when it's describing Hashem, true gidullah doesn't mean greatness of how great you are. True gidullah of Hashem is when Hashem, who is so lofty and, and great, also cares about people who are so small. Humans are tiny relative to Him. True greatness is caring for some for people who are much, much, much less great than you. Ha- every every one of these descriptors, its actual primal manifestation is when it does its opposite. Givura. We say, Hashem. You are mighty Hashem. Why? True strength doesn't knock people down. True strength brings people up. Hashem is telling is saying that Hashem is is a gibor because not only is he mighty, he's also mighty to pick people up. Vinora, when we describe Hashem as awesome or fearful, true mora shows people how much brings out love, doesn't bring out fear. A truly awesome God will not bring out fear in people, he'll bring out love. And this is what they're saying. They're saying that yes, the Nevi'im, and in their times, they received Nevuot, which didn't have the experience of Gibor. They didn't have the experience of Nora. But that doesn't matter anymore. We're not doing Nevuah anymore. Now's the time of Torah and it's the time of Chokhmah. And we know that Hashem is a Gadol, we know that Hashem is a Gibor, and we know that Hashem is a Nora. And therefore, we are going to say these every day. But they added two words, Kel Elyon. They added the words to say that Hashem is Gadol, Gibor, Vinora. But not only is He these three things, He's more than that. We cannot describe Hashem, Kel Elyon. He is more than a Gadol, more than a Gibor, more than, more than a Nora. This was the power of the Anshikness HaGidola to say, we have to go with our Mesorah. And, and the Gemara says, why, if the Nevi'im knew this, Moshe Rabbeinu was metakein something, why did they... Why did, why, how could Yirmiya and Daniel leave out a word that Moshe Rabbeinu said? Mar says, no, the, the, the Nevi, Hashem, what's the words here? It says, because they know that Hashem is one of truth. They didn't lie to him. They would not say words which they didn't experience. They weren't going to tell the nation things that they didn't experience in their Nivuot. Why they didn't experience Gvura or Nora in their, in their Nivuot could be for various reasons. It could be because of their level of Nivuot or whatever the, the time called for. But the Nevi'im themselves were not going to lie, so they omitted the word. And Moshe Rabbeinu said it because he experienced all three. So this was the magnificent um, transition that happened in the time of the of the Ajik Nesat So now, the another interesting thing is what how what happened during Bayit Rishon. So. Like, what exactly were people praying during the time of Bayit Rishon? That was before the Anshaykhness at HaGidolah. So we really have very little information about that. We really don't know. In the time of the Geonim, these are the people who lived after the Amoraim, but before the Rishonim in, in Iraq, in Babel, they took over the Yeshivot. The Yeshivot of the Amoraim became the Yeshivot of the Geonim after a few hundred years. So they said that we have a Mesorah. Somebody asked them this question from North Africa. They sent them a Shailah and they responded that we have a Mesorah in the Yeshiva that in, during Bayit Rishon, they did say Tefilot. They said the Tefilot in the way they said, in, in the way is described in the Gemara and Tamid. They, there was a few Brachot they had, Baruch Hashem Barach. They had, um, 
I believe it was, the first three Brachot Esrei were already existent. Um, they had Shema, Baruch Shem. There was a, the, the, the mission over there describes a couple of things, and it said that that's how they used to quote unquote pray during Bayat Rishon if they would do Tefilot in the Beit Hamikdash. But okay, so we have this corpus of, of, of body of, of work that was created by the Anshei Knesset Hagdolad during the end of Bayat Rishon. Sorry, at, at the end of Bayat Rishon. However, once Bayat Sheni happened, it began to fall into disuse. People weren't using it as often, and also people were adding things if they were using it. They were adding things, as long as they weren't omitting the, the, um, the original uh, text, they were fine to do that. So eventually what happened was, was that it became forgotten. The actual, um, all of the Nusra'ot that Sheikh uh, the Hagdala worked so hard to make, became virtually forgotten. So if you look in the Gemara, in, in uh, Kitin and in a few places, we see that Biochanan uh, Ben Zakai moved the yeshiva after the Churban. He moved a yeshiva, the yeshiva of the Tanaim, whatever you want to call them, to the to Yavne, right? Now in Yavne, he was one of the Tamidim of Hillel. <coughs> Sorry. <coughs> ah, water always goes down the wrong way. <coughs> he was one of the Tamidim. Ah, I'm choking here. <coughs> here you go. <coughs> mm. Thank you. So they were they were all um, Talmidim of Hillel, Yochanan ben Zakkai, Rabbi Gamliel. This all the school the school of Hillel, and most notably Shimon HaPikuli. The Gemara says, I think it's in Brachot, Lamed Gimel. It says that Rabbi Gamliel asked Shimon HaPikuli to recite the Shmona Esrei for the court for the, for for the assembly, because they were not sure of the exact formulation. And so he was the apparently the greatest Makubal among them. And he knew the Kabbalah exactly word for word. And he recited that recited it exactly in front of them so that they should know and testify that this was the Girsah, this was the Nusach of Shemona Esrei and all the Barachot. So he there was a lot of things they, they reinstituted in Yavna. They reinstituted three times a day. It was after the the Khurban. They reinstituted Tefillah um, B'Tzibur and you know so many things had to be rebuilt at the end of Bayit uh, Sheni and so in Yavne the first rules got set down then this was at the time of the early Tanaim so um, if you go a few generations down right the Mishnah was written and in the Mishnah we have the basic the, the primal halachot for all the you know we have the Zmanim for Shachrit we have uh, the basic, a few basic yersaot. We have a lot of the main halachot for tefillah, and we find them there in the Mishnah. In the in the time of the Tanaim, they were ma- they were mainly sticking to that formula that they had already developed in ya- that they had remembered in Yavne. Then, in the time of the Amoraim, this continued, but it got more developed. The Amoraim wrote tefillot. Um, a few of them that are famous, like Elokai Nitzor, Tefillat Haderech, or a couple of um, tefillot which got added to the Sidur. 
and those tefillot are most notably marked by their lucidity of the language. I mean, if you if you if you see most of the tefillot that were added by the Amoraim, they're very clear Hebrew, very straight to the point, very beautiful tefillot. Those got added, and then the yeshivot around Bavel, it, among the Amoraim, started developing in different yeshivot. They started developing different minhagim according to whoever was the rav, the authority in that area. So that's when separate. Uh, Minhagim began to develop in Bavel. Fast forward about at the end, of, let's say the close of the Amoraim era, right? So you have, let's say that's the year 500 of 600 CE. There is a Gemara in Shabbat which says that Kotve Brachot Kesorfei Torah. People who write Sidurim, write down Brachot, is like you're burning Torah. Why? Because there's a policy, there's a technical problem. That is, that if you write Sidurim on Shabbat, you can't save Sidurim from a fire. You can save Chumashim, but you can't save Sidurim on Shabbat. It's a technical reason. So now they said, because of this, we have to make a policy that you can't write Sidurim. So they refused to write Sidurim. And most of the Torah back then, people used to know about Peh. People in the time of the Maraim, time of the Gaonim, they didn't learn Torah Shabbat Peh um, in writing. They tried, everybody tried to memorize everything, even the Mishnah was very rarely written down. It was memorized. So for a long time, at least, uh, let's call it, four or five hundred years, Sidurim were never written as part of this policy. Now what happened was, is that in the year like eight, let's say 825 or so, um, Rav Amram Gaon was one of the Gaonim. So ever the Rosh Hashiva, the, the Shiva in Bavel, was known as the Gaon. And he received... Because they were in the same empire, uh, under the Muslim rule, he received a letter from the community in Spain. The Goanim Paskin for the entire Kal Yisrael. The Yeshiva of the Goanim always, always issued the Psakim. So the, he, got a, he received a Sheila from the community in Barcelona, and they asked him certain Sheilot about Tefillah. What's the right way to Davin? We're having arguments here in the city. What's the correct Nusach to Davin? So he sent them back a reply. It's called, till today, it's called Seder of Amram. He sent them back a long teshuva with all of the, all of the tefillot, the proper way to daven from, from Birkot HaShachar all the way to the Chagim. Everything with the halachot and the nusach and everything as they were noheged in, in, in the yeshiva in Babel. Had a tremendous influence. It went viral in Spain. People copied it and copied it. To this day, we don't have a perfect version of it because it was copied so many times. Um, there was actually an Amorah before him who did something similar, Natronai Gaon, who wrote, a, who sent a response about Mea Brachot, how, how you're Mekayim the Mea Brachot B'chol Yom. I mean, he sent a similar Seder, but we don't really have the whole copy. Um, and that had a major influence on North Africa, had a major uh, influence in Provence and in Spain, all the areas under Muslim rule at the time, because they still had contact with the Shiva, the Shiva the Geonim. A um, hundred years later, Rib Gaon, another one of the Gaonim, who was from Egypt, he, was, he came from Al-Fayyum in, in Cairo, he wrote another Sidur with Arabic instructions. They used to call him in, in Bavel, they used to call him the Rosh Shiva Al-Fayyumi, because he was the Egypt, Egyptian Rosh Shiva. He wasn't from Bavel, um, but they loved him, they revered him. He was a genius of, of magn- no other magnitude, and he, um, he wrote for them a Sidur, with Arabic instructions, a full, beautiful Sidur, and he added in all of his own piyutim, um, his own poems and, and, and tefillot, 
and they used it in Egypt for probably at least 400 years. Till today, we don't have a perfect copy of it. We, I mean, a lot of research was done in Israel in the, in the 40s to try to, re, to revive it, but no research has been done since then. So there is a copy of what we think is the Sidur of Saad Yagon, but that had a major influence on Egypt and subsequently on the Rambams, um, the, the Rambam Seder HaTefillah, which the Rambam has in, in Hilchot Tefillah at the back. The Rambam writes literally the entire Sidur. So the Rambams was also major, influ- majorly influenced by the Geonim, and most particularly the strain of um, tefillah, of like the early Spanish tefillah, the early, very early um, version of the Sidur that most people today don't pray in such a pure, it's a much simpler form. So that's school one. Those, those, those first, those were the first quote-unquote sidurim. Seder of Amram became what was called sidurim. Later, they, they, when they started making things for the Chagim, they called them machzorim for the cycle. Machzor means a cycle. But in order to really understand how different schools of, of um, sidurim developed, it's also important to understand that there was another school besides the Babylonians, besides the, the, the school of the Geonim, the school of the Geonim came from the Amoraim in Bavel, Tamud Bavli. The Tamud Yushalmi had their own smaller school, very small school of, of uh, Yeshiva of Amoraim. They were persecuted more heavily. They were under the Christian Empire, the Byzantines. So their students fled eventually to Italy, in Bari. And in Bari, these Tamid um, Chachamim and Mikubalim that eventually taught Torah to humongous amount of Klai Yisrael because of the, the Arba Shavuyim, the four captives. I don't know if you're familiar with the story. And they, they um, eventually migrated to northern, to northern, northwestern uh, Europe, which is Germany, um, France. And they became the Hasidei Ashkenaz. Their, their students became what's known as the, the Hasidim of Ashkenaz or the Mikvalim. Some of them are famous, like Buda Hasid, Shmuel um, Hasid. We had... Uh, Eventually, that became Rabbeinu Gershom and uh, Yaakov ben Yakar. All of the Hasidic Ashkenaz, they came from a different school of, of Torah, and they started to paskin things differently. Their, their Misorah came from the Nusach of the, of the Yushami Amaraim, so it was a little bit different than the Babylonian Nusach of Tefillah. So their order of the Tefillah was a little bit different. And therefore, their Tamidim, the Hasidic Ashkenaz, were, let's say, Rabbeinu Gershom, then Rashi, and then the Balei Tosafot. So the, 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 one of the main sources we have for that Gersa of Tefillah is Machsor Vitri, which are Sidur Rashi, some people uh, we, have, we have both. So those are the two main Sidurim we have from that early era. Then the Tosafot came and they added certain Halachot and structural changes to the Sidur, which are still extant today in Nusach Ashkenaz. For example, uh, you know, Hodu, after Baruch Sha'amar, and you know, there's, if you ever prayed with Ashkenazim, you'll notice a couple of changes that they do. This all comes originally from the Italian, um, the Italian, whatever, the, North, the, the Northwestern European, Nusach, the original um, Nusachot back then. So one of the biggest influences in that time, so let's say from, let's talk about the Dori Shonim, right? So we have, after the Gonim, you have... Uh, the Seder Ramam had a major influence, the Ramam had a major influence, the Psa had a major influence. Um, in Spain, they basically developed their Nusach off the Seder of Amram. The biggest influence in the time of the Rishonim was the influence of the Paitanim. These were the quote-unquote poets, the Gedolim and Klai Yisrael, who wrote to Filot 
to um, praise Hashem and they added it in Tefillot for the weekdays, mostly for Shabbat and Yom Tov. Um, this had a major influence and we're going to see, I mean, throughout the Tefillot today we don't say many, um, but there are still some which are still very much loved, like Adon Olam, Yigdal, on Shabbat there are more, Yom Tov there are more. But at the time, they had a tremendous influence on the Sidur. There's also Piyotim from Rashi, Piyotim from Rabbeinu Gershon, Piyotim from Rabbi Yudah Hasid, and Rabbi Shmuel Hasid. It's very interesting that the Arizal didn't like the Piyotim from Spain. The Arizal preferred the Piyotim from the Hasidic Ashkenaz because the Piyotim from Spain were far more beautiful and eloquent and gorgeous, but they had less Kabbalah behind them. He, he liked the Kabbalistic school of the Hasidic Ashkenaz. He, he felt it was more authentic. So he liked, even though they weren't strictly as beautiful as the Spanish ones, but he, he liked those better. Like as we saw Shir HaYichud and Shir HaKavod we saw last week. Um, so he liked those better, but um, the, Pew, the Pew team don't affect Tefillah greatly today. Um, what happened next? So the next major, major change in Tefillah, the biggest changes that happened to the Sidur. Remember back then they were still, if someone had a Sidur, it was handwritten and it was overused because, you know, it was one per ten people and it was probably used by the Shliach Tzibur and everyone had to listen to, to memorize all the Tefillot. Um, the biggest changes were the printing press <laughs> and the Kabbalah. So what happened with the printing press when they started printing Sidurim was that popularity trumped authority. Whatever was popular took more precedence over the authority of the Gedolim and the authority of the poskim at the time. If a posek said, do this, they're like, but, but the Sidur says this. You know, the, the Ravs, till, till today a Rav will say, everyone thinks that the, the Sidur is the biggest posek. You know, he, if I say no, it's no. I don't care what the, what the Sidur says. But, and it also, but the printing press also allowed for a lot of cross-germination. It allowed for a lot of influence between Sidurim all over the world. A lot of the printing was done in Italy. In, in Rome, a lot of the printing was done in Venice. Um, so they had major print, uh, printing houses there. So there was a lot of cross-germination between an inspiration. Another one of the, the, the other major change was the, change, the influence of the Kabbalah, the Arizal, um, and the Baal Shem Tov, and all of these Gedolim started adding things such as L'Shem Yichuds, right? Till today we say L'Shem Yichuds before Tefillot, uh, Kabbalah Shabbat we have today. Um, what else do we have? Tikkun Chatzot is a very famous one. These are all in the Sidur today. These came from the schools of the Mikubalim. And things that became very popular, Modeani, for example, comes from Tzvas. Also, things that went viral because of the printing press and they became popular everywhere. So now, so now after the printing press you know, went viral, there was, it developed, the Sidurim that we have today evolved from that time onwards. If you look at the Sidurim printed today, none of them have the courage to source material earlier than the printing press. They all just depend on printed Sidurim for some reason. Uh, I don't personally like that, but this is the way they do it. So it developed into five major nuschaot that are used today. First one, you've probably seen on shelves, Minhag Ashkenaz, right? That's the standard Ashkenaz Sidur. You'll probably see it from Art Scroll. Again, that's from the Northwestern European. The, the German, the French that retained to the Yekisha, you know, the, the Germans have been praying like this. They had a lot of influence um, later from the Poskim, like the Kolbo, the, the Kolbo, the Rush, the Tour, had a lot of influence on these Sudurim, Bali Tosafot, as I said. However, if you want to, if you really want a version which is authentic, like for the words, every word calculated, Alpia Kabbalah, and you want 
halacha as well. Perf like I, in my opinion, the best of all of them is the sidur of the Vilna Gaon, sidur Hagra. Um, he's not only a master posek, but also a master mikubal. So every word is precise. The misora is, is beautiful. The Vilna Gaon is probably has probably the best sidur Ashkenaz of all the Ashkenaz sidurim. The next one is the quote-unquote Sfarad, right? The the, the Nusl Sfarad, as as Ashkenazim call it. It's a misnomer because they're not from Spain. Hasidic people have never been near Spain. However, because they became Hasidim and they were influenced by the Baal Shem Tov and they were influenced by the Arizal, they started to incorporate things that the Arizal had had recommended. And in the Sefer Priyets Chaim, the Arizal, he, the Chaim Vital quotes the Arizal as I think it's the Chaim Vital as recommending many things in Tefillah to do or not to do, and. It actually resembles the Sephardi version, to be honest. It more resembles the Sephardi version. However, because there were different branches of Hasidut, it's a chaotic mess. Nusach Sfarad is a chaotic mess. Um, you, you have like, and it's not a good thing. You have you have Sidurim from different, Bells has their Siddur, Ger has their Siddur, um, Satmer has their Siddur, and then Art Scroll has their Siddur. Art Scroll Nusach Sfarad, in my opinion, is is not great at all. Al pi Kabbalah, just not consistent. It's a, it's a hodgepodge, is really what it is. The best of all the Nusach Sfarads is actually Nusach Ha'ari, because the original Lubavitcher Rebbe, the original the Alter Rebbe, whatever, uh, the Baal Tanya, who himself was a master posek and a master Mikubal, looked at six, 60 different manuscripts and sat down for a long time and developed and wrote a real Sidur al Pia Kabbalah and al Pia Misora and al Pia Lacha. And that's called the Nusachari. It's still extant today. Lubavitch all around the world use it. Um, you have some individuals who are Hasidim who also use it because it is, frankly, the best Nusach when it comes across the board. Um, it's really close to the It is very close to Sephardi, yeah. Like, yeah if, you know, if you compare the Ashkenaz to Lubavitch to Sephardi, Lubavitch to Sephardi is closer than to the Ashkenaz. Yeah, it's very interesting. Um, and also, the um, there's another sidur from the there's another sidur from from the Ari which is called sidur Harashash. This is that the Rashash's version of, of the Nusach Ari, but it's far more Alpia Kabbalah. It's uh, you know there's diagrams of Kavanot and Yudke Vavkes and the Shem Hashem and everything, so it's a little bit much for most people. They still print it and sell it because there's actual Mikubalim alive today who use it all over the world. So you know. Different strokes for different folks. Um, what's interesting about Nusahari is that there's a a legend. People say they don't know where it's from, but it's actually from the Magid of Mezrich. He says that the there's the there's an Ivwani Cheskel, which talks about the Sha'arim to Yushalayim, the twelve gates to Yushalayim. And he says that just like there's twelve gates to Yushalayim in this world in this world, there's twelve gates to heaven in Shemayim. And each one is for a different Shevet. And every Shevet had their own Nusach. Every Shevet had their own way of praying to Hashem. Even in the time of the Shvatim, the different Shvatim had different Nuschaot of Tefillah. With the Galut, it began to be forgotten how each Shevet had, which, for which Shevet would be the best method of Tefillah. And therefore, there's a 13th gate. The 13th gate is the Shar HaKalelet, the general gate 
And this general gate is what the Arizal was writing. The Arizal wanted to write a Shar HaKlalit, a general gate for everybody to be able to daven through this gate with this method and accomplish all the tikkunim that they need to be to accomplish with the words of the tefillah. As we said, the words are very, very carefully calibrated. Every word is like a, you know, a precise dial. So that's that's the that's the, the, the Lubavitch love saying this over that you know they believe their their tefillah is the, the best of the best. Okay, <laughs> the uh, everyone does really. Um, the, the the fourth is it no the third major is the Sfaradi. Now, Sfaradim are going to fight. The Moroccans believe theirs is the best. The Syrians believe theirs is the best. Lebanese, everybody you know thinks that theirs is the authentic. Now, <laughs> if they actually saw, huh? Not a huge difference. Yeah, and not all of them actually know the history of it. If they actually saw the old manuscripts from before the printing press of. If they saw the manuscripts of the Nusach in Morocco and the Nusach in Syria, it looks more like the Temani Nusach. It's far more basic, much simpler, and it has a lot of peculiarities that they would not be familiar with. It was during the time of the printing press with the Chida who authorized many Sudurim that were printed in, in, in uh, I believe it was Italy. I could be wrong though. Um, there was many Sidurim, they're called the Batim, the Beit Chadash, the Beit... Uh, there's one right there. See it, uh, the Tfilat, uh, the, the, the brown one there. Um, Tfilat Chodesh, I think that's called. Uh, what does it say on it? That's like... Yeah, that's basically a copy of, of the one that was printed 500 years ago. Literally, that one right there. Um, and... With the printing press, a lot of things became viral. A lot of things got added in. A lot of standardization happened. Um, form and you know all the structures started to become more or less equal because the same printing houses were print, printing for Syria and printing for Morocco. What's interesting about Morocco though, the Syrians, their minhag is very closely related to the Babylonian one, it's Adam Soba, right? So they were pretty near the Geonim and they, it's very similar to the Seder of Amram and the Spanish minhag. The, the Moroccan one is interesting because originally Morocco, before the Inquisition, there were people living in Marrakesh and Taflilat and different areas of Morocco where they were native Moroccans. These were Jews who had been there since Bayit Sheni. So they had their own minhagim. After the Gerush Sfarad, about 20,000 Jews moved from Castilla to Fez. 20,000 families or people, I don't remember exactly. And their Nusach, they were, very, they were like the New Yorkers of Spain, the Castilians, and they were rich, wealthy, educated, and they had their way. They came to Fez and they're like, no, we're the Tamid Chachamim. We're going to set exactly how how we're going to daven. Um, this is our Nusach, and basically the Nusach of the, Jew, the Moroccan Jewry became modeled after the Minhag Fez, the Minhag Castilla. Um, it was also very influenced by the Abu Dirham, who wrote a Sidur, not a Sidur, but a Halacha Sefer on, on Tefillah, and that's why all of the Moroccan Minhagim, no matter where they are, um, I mean Casablanca, all the areas in Morocco, they defer to Fez because Fez had the most authentic Castilian um, Nusach. And if you're from Marrakesh or Tafilat and you have a different Minhag, you don't actually keep the Fez Minhag if you know that your family is actually old school Moroccan, really old school. What's interesting about the Castilians, just to show you what kind of bosses they were, in Salonica, in Greece, after the Inquisition, there was chaos. I mean, Jews from all over Spain ended up in Salonica, which is a big uh, Greek Greek city. And there were, at one point, I think it was in 1493 or 1494, we have writings that 
uh, that testify that there were 14 Jewish communities living in Salonika at the same time. That was the first time in Jewish history that so many people from so different places ended up in the same place at once. Um, you had people from Greece, you had people from Aragon, Castilla, Seville, all over the Spanish Empire, which was actually separate areas at the time. Um, they all ended up in the same city at the same time, and as you could imagine, fights broke out in shul <laughs> over what to do. And after about, you know, a couple of years of um, negotiation, let's call it, eventually the Castilians won. <laughs> and when they printed a, when they printed a sidur for the community of Salonika in like 15-something, uh, they actually printed it according to the Minha Castilla. Because, you know, there was, theirs was the most pure. Their, literally, their, their nusach was the most un, unadulterated. It was the most uh, free of any peculiarities and no piyutim, like less piyutim. It was the most clear and, and authentic uh, version, according to the minhag of Seder of Amram and, and, uh, and the, Shivata, the yeshiva of the Babylonians. Um, another big um, influencer especially on the Iraqis, is the Ben Ishchai. Ben Ishchai added a bunch of tefillot, and until today we have the old Yosef Chai, a sidur made by Rabbi Mizrahi, who's an expert on tefillah. And Ben Ishchai had a major influence, especially on the Persians. The Persians did not have their own gedolim. So when they pray, they mostly pray Ben Ishchai. They pray very much, you know, Iraqi, because they don't really have another source. So Ben Ishchai also had a major influence on, on the sidur. So the last two are the most are the most are the last two nisalot which are still used till today are the least used. You have Temani, right? They call their sidur the Tichlal for whatever historical re- historical reasons, and um, their nusach is very unique. I mean, it goes back way, way, way back. They had they were much more isolated, so the peculiarities in their minhagim are very interesting, but they're also their the halachic structure of their tefillah is very highly shaped by the Rambam because if you know the Rambam sent the, sent the Igeret Teman he saved, he saved the community of Teman they feel like he saved him they also revered Saadia Gaon for some reason the Temanim thought he was huge and they revered him they, they, till today they say some of his piyutim um, which were in his Sidur so the Sidur of Saadia and the Sidur of the Rambam heavily influenced the structure and the Halakha of the Temane Sidur, which is still used today by many Temanim, and it's very interesting. You should check it out. There are things they do say, things they don't say, that are very interesting. The last one is the Minhag Romi, the, the, the Italian Nusach. There's a few heroic kehilot in the world that still pray this Nusach. This is the early Italian Nusach, before the printing presses basically uh, started messing things up. They had a Nusach of, they had the Nusach, I think, of what city was it? Was the Nusach of Venice? Not a palm. I don't remember. The, the, Nusach, the, the Italian Nusach is still prayed today, and there's peculiarities in, in the Italian Nusach, which n- almost nobody does. The, the, the order that they do for Tachnun, and, and it's very interesting. If you could pick yourself up a copy, it's a fun read. But that is the, um, the, the last of the major Nusachot which actually evolved that are still in use today. I think next week uh, we'll probably look a little bit at Kavana a little bit uh, because I want to already get to Modani and to the Sidur and uh, maybe Bikota Shachar and you know we'll, we'll look at Modani next week and hopefully crack open this Sidur we've been talking 